Welcome to EDI on BIV. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor at Business in Vancouver. Returning to the show as a co-host is Chantal Krish, Director of Communications, Programs, and Outreach with the Office of the Lieutenant Governor of BC. Chantal, great to have you back on. Thanks for joining as a co-host. Hi there. Now, June is Pride Month, and you may have noticed that your favorite brands, your bank, your employer, other organizations are changing their social media icons and logos to reflect a rainbow. Well, we're going to build on that and go beyond that today and explore some of the steps organizations can take to ensure their workplaces and work practices are truly inclusive for LGBTQ2 plus professionals. Colin Druin is the Executive Director of Pride at Work Canada, and he joins us today to discuss the organization's workplace audit. Colin, great to have you on the show. Welcome. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us about this workplace audit, what it involves, and perhaps why it was created in the first place. Well, our workplace audit, formerly known as our uh, Pride at Work Canada uh, LGBTQ2 plus workplace inclusion index, which is quite a mouthful. Uh, so <laughs> we've rebranded it as our workplace audit. Um, it's our way of connecting with our members because we are a member services agency for employers. Uh, to really survey what they're doing to include queer, trans, two-spirit employees uh, and how we can support them in, you know, doing whatever they're doing better. So uh, one of the reasons why we rebranded it um, as an audit was um, we didn't want it to be confused with some of the other uh, programs that are out there that are called index, you know, specifically human rights campaigns. Um, Corporate Equality Index, which is a fabulous tool for U.S.-based companies, uh, but our tool is uniquely Canadian, and unlike HRC, we don't do uh, a list. We don't do like a listing uh, of employers and give them a score, because we really do use it as a way of coaching them on finding out what it is that they're doing, um, what we think they can be doing better within the context of their business model, because there's no one-size-fits-all solution here. Uh, it was really great to hear you talk about a lot of companies, uh, you know, doing the rainbow logo and, and all of those uh, kind of market facing engagements around pride. And uh, you asked um, why the audit was started in the first place. Well, the, the kind of impetus for it was to kind of go a little bit deeper uh, because the business case for inclusion of our communities um, really started a number of years ago and really focused on the buying power of uh, queer and trans communities. Uh, and it really neglected the fact that uh, queer and trans two-spirit people in Canada face a lot of barriers to employment. Um, there's actually a big uh, discrepancy when it comes to wages and there's a lot of hiring discrimination. Uh, so we, Product Work Canada, wanted to go beneath the surface beyond the advertising with, you know, smiling same-sex couples holding hands and rainbow logos into what we can do to create a more inclusive culture uh, at uh, the workplaces that we work with. That sounds great, Colin. And thank you so much for creating this tool. It's so important to have, have ways that businesses can engage. And so offering them a way to do it constructively with a group of experts um, that really understand the issue and trying to get to sort of the underbelly of the issue is such an important place to start. What kind of questions does your audit ask of employers as they go through the process? There's a range of subjects explored. Uh, they kind of extend from what we see as um, the kind of beginning stages of basic policies to have. If you've got a sexual harassment or a discrimination policy, 
um, make sure it's including the grounds that we work with, um, all the way up to um, do you have out people in senior roles within your organization? And what do you do for employees throughout their life cycle uh, with the company? Um, we see a lot of companies, they come to us and they ask us about recruitment. They really want to know how do we get more applicants from your communities? Uh, and we say, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do to get more applications. Um, but what we'd really like to see is uh, better hiring processes because you can put rainbows all over the job postings. You can go to these specialty job boards. Um, but the data that we see is that if you have experience that outs you as queer, trans, or two-spirit on your resume or your application, you're about 20% less likely to get an interview in Canada. Uh, so it's not just about getting out there and telling people that you're inclusive. It's about actually being inclusive all the way through the hiring process. And then when it comes to, the, like I said, the employee's life cycle with the company, making sure that there are programs um, for them to succeed as an out uh, member of our community, um, you know, reaching uh, new heights in management, uh, moving forward, having influence within the company. So uh, we look at everything from the hiring process to whether there's mentorship programs to what kind of uh, group benefits are being offered. Um, you know, that's one of the places where I look first when I start talking to employers is, uh, you know, does your group benefits uh, package cover transition related care? Because a lot of that care is not covered by provinces and territories in Canada. Um, with a few notable exceptions, British Columbia being one, um, Yukon being another leader uh, in the space. Um, so go West Coast. Uh, but we, uh, we really do like to see some of those very specific supports, as well as robust mental health supports, because we do see poor mental health outcomes um, in queer and trans communities, as opposed to other communities. Uh, mental health and mental wellness, um, obviously a huge subject for a lot of different communities within the employee population. Um, but I know from my personal experience, I know from our team's personal experience, it can be really difficult to find a mental health service provider that's knowledgeable about some of the challenges faced by um, folks in the community, let alone people in the, our communities who also face uh, racism, people who face ableism, uh, people who are newcomers or refugees who have trauma associated with coming to Canada. Um, so it's quite nebulous. Um, so we ask a, a good number of questions. I think it's almost 200 questions that we ask our employers about what it is that they're doing. And, you know, we don't judge. <laughs> we don't, you know, if they're not doing something, um, we don't wrap them on the wrists. We talk about here's a roadmap or here's kind of how we think you can get to a better place this year and then come back to us next year and we'll talk about what steps you can take after that. So we see it as an iterative, iterative process over a number of years, excuse me. And I'm curious too, Colin, I mean, I imagine you have employers from a wide range of industries who are maybe starting at various levels of inclusivity already, have maybe done some work, maybe haven't. Is there any commonality in terms of where an employer should start after answering 200 questions and maybe seeing that there's a lot of work to be done across a number of areas? Are there some basic, you know, um, steps one, two, three that every employer should make sure they address first before moving on to other areas? Yeah, it can be intimidating. So that's why we don't do like a listing or a ranking publicly, because we don't want the fact that you haven't done anything to preclude you from getting started. And we don't want anybody to be worried that 
you know, we're going to out them as not having gender identity and gender expression included in this policy or that policy. Um, so we want to make it a welcoming process that people want to come to us and they, they really want to get that audit and find out what they could do better. Uh, in terms of basic things that every employer should do, it starts with making sure that you have the grounds that we uh, work with in our communities as they are represented in human rights legislation, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression. Make sure that you have those anywhere that you're including grounds that are from human rights legislation, you include those. And make sure that there's a common understanding among the employee population of what inclusion on those grounds looks like. So a lot of HR professionals that I speak with don't know that outing someone without their permission, um, there is a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of um, uh, history of that being defined as workplace harassment. And it's actually a legal liability for the employer to disclose that private information. So people don't know that, right? So they just they just mention personal information about people in the workplace. So it's just really important to have those policies there. And I, I'd say the next thing for me is making sure that benefits are inclusive. Um, if you're investing in benefits for um, your employee population, they should benefit the whole population, not just a chosen few. So just make sure uh, you know those two things to start, and then to get the rest, come to Pride of Work Canada and find out. <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you so much. Um, maybe we can uh, get into sort of you had sp you had spoken a little bit around sort of the advancement uh, of of the community in the workplace of the communities you serve in their own work environments. Can you speak sort of to some of the specific barriers that they might face um, that are unique and that your program really aims to address through the audit? Well, one of the most unique things that I've come to find through a lot of the research that we've done and a lot of the talking I've done with some of my colleagues in the space um, is that. Things are getting better progressively, but they're getting better for a chosen few in the community. Uh, you know, when we talk to people who are identify as gay and lesbian, who are cisgender and are white, uh, they're a lot more likely to come out in an interview if they believe it's going to give them a strategic advantage in the hiring process because the employer is inclusive and they've got rainbow flags everywhere or they do that pride centered marketing. We don't hear the same thing from Black, Indigenous, people of color, people with disabilities who are members of the community because uh, they also face racism. They also face ableism and other forms of discrimination. And there's less likely to disclose something that is not gonna be seen to them as a strategic advantage based on their previous experience. Um, so we do see a lot of employers kind of, and you hear it in a number of different dimensions, well, we'll work on our trans inclusion strategy after we've got kind of pay equity for cis women and we've, we've got that under, underway. And all of my friends who work in the women's leadership space hear the same thing. Well, you know, we're not really going to do a whole BIPOC women's uh, initiative. We're going to we're just going to focus on women more broadly. When you focus on a community more broadly, uh, people fall through the cracks. And I am sick and tired of always having to write research reports where I'm talking about outcomes for the community. And then I say, oh, and these outcomes are always work for, are always worse for indigenous communities who are queer, uh, for black people who are queer. We have to move that from kind of a footnote or an afterthought. That needs to be the front of the, that needs to be the introduction to the paper. It needs to be talking about how these are where we see the most urgent needs 
Um, transphobia pervades so many high, uh, hiring processes. And that's, we see uh, a lot of trans people, gender non-conforming people, um, you know, suffering from uh, transphobic discrimination um, in the hiring process and not getting hired. We see incredibly low um, income uh, in that area. And then the other area where I think a lot of folks fall through the cracks is bisexuality. So um, if you look at the communities that we work with, people who identify as bisexual or pansexual or um, some other identity other than a monosexual identity, which would be um, you know, being gay or being straight, um, a lot of those folks face biphobia from both gay people and straight people. And um, we see the poorest mental health outcomes in bi communities. And we see a lot of um, workplace harassment discrimination for people who are bisexual or pansexual. So uh, I think we have to look beyond this kind of, oh, let's cast a wide net, let's be broad. And we have to get super focused on who are the people who are hurting the most um, from some of these systemic challenges facing our communities, focus on them, and then hopefully that'll extrapolate out to everyone because we've only been really helping, like I said, a really chosen few over the last couple of years. Yeah, I really appreciate that focus on the intersectionality piece and, and not trying to put everything under the umbrella of diversity and inclusion as well. We talk a lot about that on this program and we can see a lot of work happening across all sectors, incorporating justice and racial inclusion. Um, but it, you know, it's complex. And so I guess one of my follow-up questions to that point is what kind of, like, what kind of work do you kind of have to do, or do you find yourself doing to educate the groups that you work with about the communities that you serve? And is that an expectation? Does it cause emotional labor? And is there a way that, you know, we can build a greater informed public around the LGBTQ2S plus community with these workplaces without having to be the ones that are always trying to explain what the experiences are like. Yeah, I, it, there is a lot of emotional labor that goes into the work that we do. And um, it's something that's been coming to mind for me with the fifth anniversary of the, uh, the tragic shooting that was at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. Um, and I think maybe a personal story might kind of illustrate some of, of what I mean. Um, when that happened, it was right when Pride season was starting. And we had a number of events scheduled across Canada. A lot of sponsors, a lot of event venues, they, they saw that happen in the United States and they wanted to know, well, what are we doing here? Are we going to have to increase security? Um, are we going to have to, um, you know, cancel the event? Are people not going to come anymore? Um, should we pull our sponsorship? And I was having a lot of these meetings with people where they just had no uh, idea what I was going through as a queer person, as a person who, you know, has dealt with homophobic violence in my life. Um, I didn't know anybody who was in that incident, but it, it really affected me deeply. I didn't go into this work because I don't care about my community. And I had to start um, beginning meetings by telling people, you know, I know we're here to talk about an event and I know there's a lot of money on the table here, but this is not an abstract concept to me. This is very acute. I'm really feeling this tragedy and we just need to be conscious of that as we go into this conversation. And that was the moment that I realized um, that, you know, you can't take these things for granted. You can't expect somebody to just understand what you're going through in a moment. So I think when we see these big tragedies, like so many of the tragedies that we've seen um, in the news of late and, you know, through the years, 
takes an emotional toll on everyone. And uh, I think just being honest about that as we go into these conversations, and I tell my staff, you have to be honest with people when you start talking to them about what this means to you, uh, because it's going to change the questions they have for you. It's going to change the way that they interact with you and the subject matter, and it's going to change the way that they behave when they go back to work. Um, so I don't think that we need to professionalize everything and pretend that our emotions aren't part of it. I think, you know, I always think of um, the quote from uh, Brene Brown. Um, you know, she's a really a, a mega best-selling author for a reason. She says that um, empathy cannot live where shame is. And I think if we focus on ourselves and how we, how, what am I going to do to look inclusive and what's the right thing to say? And somebody look at this tweet and tell me if it's offensive or not. We get so caught up in our own image. We forget that, you know, it's about serving other people and it's about serving other people through empathy. Um, so I think hopefully by being a bit transparent about, you know, the emotional attachment that we have to the subject matter, everybody who works at Pride of Work Canada is queer or trans or two-spirit. Over half of our staff were born outside of Canada. Um, so we all have, uh, you know, a very emotional attachment to this. Being honest about that is, I think, what gets us good results from working with employers. Thank you for sharing that. We opened the conversation talking about the logos and to build off of what you just said, you know, every time there's a tragedy, tragedy like the Orlando shooting or the news out of Kamloops or events around Black Lives Matter, we often see employers and other institutions come out on social media and, you know, try to express empathy or provide condolences or, you know, turn their social media icons black, whatever it is. And I'm curious for your thoughts on, you know, how positive that might be and whether you're seeing a lot of the hard, meaningful work being done in addition to what may be perceived at times or the, the easier step to take, which is, you know, talking the talk and then not necessarily following up, you know, after an event like what we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think I think everything works for a different audience, right? So, you know, you might do something to your logo to acknowledge something that's gone on the news or an observance or a special month. And it's gonna land with some people and other people are just gonna say it's not enough. The problems that we're dealing with here are really big and a lot of people are really angry about them and they need to be because that anger is gonna kind of you know, prompt some action. Um, so I think that you know, there's never a magic solution. I think that those, or there's no silver bullet. Um, the changing the logos and the statements of support, I think that's one part of it. Um, but what I like to see are action plans attached to those things. You know, uh, we get questions um, from the staff team or from our board, you know, something's happened. Should we go out with a comment about this? I say, well, are we doing anything to resolve that problem? Because if we don't have anything new to add to this conversation, I don't necessarily know if we should enter it. Uh, and sometimes it's about pointing to others who are already answering some of those tough questions and just kind of amplifying their voices and pointing to what they're uh, doing. So I try to make sure that with our messaging, um, we're always pointing to, you know, we would like to acknowledge this. Here's somebody who's really doing some good work on this, and we would love to see you go engage with them. And then if we have something to announce, um, you know, right now we're, we're entering into a new strategic plan that we put together with our board, and we've got a couple of really concrete actions in that strategic plan. Once we have accomplished those, those actions, or, you know, we've actually carried through on our commitment, 
um, we will be loud and proud about what we've accomplished. But I'm not a big person who likes to talk about what we're going to do. I like to talk about what we have done. Um, so that's usually, that's kind of my take on the messaging piece. But, you know, I leave the marketing and the communications to our team that does that. Uh, I just, I come in with, <laughs> those are the values that I try and instill um, when we move forward with that kind of work. Colin, thank you so much for your leadership on this. It's really refreshing and inspiring to hear the approach that you take to your work and to how you lead and run your organization and how you also put your own self in, in all of the kind of experiences that you have when you engage with your clients. Because I know, especially these days, it's like we re- it's very, very hard to separate what's happening in our minds and in our hearts with what's happening in our workplaces, which for many of us is actually in our homes. So I think even more our worlds are colliding there. I guess we have time for one last question. And and I'd like to just ask you, you know, for organizations that are thinking of getting into to to do this kind of work, but don't really know where to start, what would your advice be to them? And where can they find some information to, to connect with you directly? Well, I'd like to say a good place to start on this portfolio is with Pride at Work Canada. So you can check us out at prideatwork.ca. But I would also say that it's really important to find out what people need in your organization. A lot of employers come to us and they say, well, we want to do a training session on this. And then we want somebody to come in and give a talk on that. And then I ask them where that's coming from. And it's just their own assumptions about what people know and don't know. And I say, sounds like you have to go back and talk to your folks about what they think they need. And I, I think that's a, a, a step that we often miss is going and asking people, what are the tools that you think you need to do better on this? Um, instead of assuming um, what people need, because when you actually talk to them, you might realize, wow, we've got a lot more people here who have queer or trans kids than we ever realized. Or you have a lot more people here who are really active allies already. We just haven't given them the permission to say it at work. Um, so. I think a good first step is not assuming, seeing what people need. And then if Pride of Work Canada is the right organization to deliver that, we hope that they can come and work with us. Great advice. And thank you so much, Colin, for sharing some insight, not only into the audit process that you have, but also some tips for employers to get started on doing the tough work in this area. So thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Our guest today was Colin Druin, Executive Director of Pride at Work Canada, my co-host, Chantel Krish, Director of Communications, Programs, and Outreach with the Office of the Lieutenant Governor of BC. This has been EDI on BIV. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks so much for joining us. We publish new episodes of this series every Tuesday, so be sure to check back with us next Tuesday for new content. You can find our archive at BIV.com audio. And if you want to subscribe, and we ask that you do, you can find us by searching BIV Today on your favorite podcast app. We'll see you next Tuesday.